0: My name is Roy Malloy and this is The Dawn of Crime, a podcast series dedicated to uh, making biographies of people and places and crimes and things that have happened in Australia that we've more or less forgotten. Um, True crime is the nature of what I write about and it's uh, what I'm dedicating this podcast to as well. The Dawn of Crime is also the name of the series of books that I've published about exactly this, uh, biographies of criminals and crimes throughout Australia's history. This podcast is, though, not dedicated towards a person. This is about a geographical or cartic- cartography, how do you say that, cartographical feature. It's, uh, this episode is about two laneways in Melbourne. Uh, sounds a bit strange, I'm sure, but in their time, Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace were as infamous and extremely well-known in Melbourne, every bit as much as the Parliament Buildings, the Tivoli Theatre and flinders street train station these were romeo lane and juliet terrace were beyond well known they were infamous the thing of it is though they if you know melbourne or you don't know melbourne i presume you don't melbourne has a main street uh, in sydney it's george street in perth it's hay street in melbourne it has to be said it, it's burke street because burke street starts at the top of a hill and it's got the parliament building as you walk down that hill heading west with the parliament building behind you. The first uh, street you'll come to on your right is a thoroughfare called Juliet Terrace. Then you walk maybe as many as 20 meters, maybe 40 meters further down is Romeo Lane. So Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace, named obviously after Shakespeare in a time of, you know, romantic setting up the city and giving it, you know, dignified and glorious interesting names. It was called Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace. They are not long. They're, they go between Burke Street and Little Burke Street, and without a word of a lie, they are one hundred and twenty meters in length. Um, you, you'd, be, you'd be hard pressed to put more than in, in today's you know environment. You'd be hard pressed to put more than fifteen dwellings or you know commercial cafes, that kind of thing, along it. They're very short bits of real estate. Where they come out into Little Burke Street, also there's, there's still one or two remaining buildings from the early, you know, the 1870s, 1880s, and they're small, um, they're they're single story, and they're pretty featureless. And so, that's pretty much all you can say about it. They, they are featureless laneways. Now, at the time when when this we're going to set this story uh, somewhere around 1850. The gold rush happened and people came in huge numbers. When they got to Melbourne, they found a place that had... And These these stats are from the 1940s, um, what I'm about to read you, but the amount of laneways and places and alleyways that I'm about to talk about, there would have been more in the 1850s. But by the 1940s, Melbourne had 125 laneways, 87 places and 87 alleyways. These are streets for lack of a better name that are just too small they're dead ends or you know they're they're too small to be a street but even then there's a whole maybe as many as a hundred other small adjuncts off a main street that's too small even to be called an alleyway and and they'd be service laneways that you'd kind of back a horse and cart into uh, while a guy goes in and unloads the um, the outhouse buckets or you know that, that takes the waste away so there were heaps of those as well now, look, Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace were, though, uh, thoroughfares. You could go between one street, down them, and get to another. So, that's that's what you're looking at here, is just two very small, unassuming bits of real estate in right off Melbourne's main street. Little Lonsdale Street tends to get uh, talked about as this, you know, uh, an area of uh, red-light crime. Uh, Madame Brussels, the Madame had Brussels in Little Lonsdale, and I'll get to that later, but... Little Lon seems to have been remembered very heavily, whereas Romeo, Terrace and Juliet Lane, uh, sorry, Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace have been more or less forgotten. But they were, without question, uh, they exceeded the infamy at the time of Little Longsdale Street. Now, um, this, this story that I'm going to go through, it, I've cherry-picked some of the newspaper references that really kind of wrap this up into what I can use in, the, in this podcast, But as you research Romeo, Lane and Juliet Terrace, you are flooded with options. There there are just so many cases. I mean, some of them are gory, some of them are fascinating. A lot of them are just as simple as a mugging and pickpockets. But there are so, so many references to crimes that happened in Romeo, Lane and Juliet Terrace. Um, When Gold Rush happened, it also brought with it... um, uh, every kind of vice you can imagine. it bought uh, sly grog, opium, prostitution, uh, stolen tobacco, an array of weapons. And they flooded Melbourne streets, and naturally, like any kind of liquid, they kind of pulled in the darkest, grossest recesses of the city, and that was Romeo, Lane, and Juliet Terrace. Um, the... The, the article I'm about to read you is from the Argus newspaper on the 9th of June, 1857. So this is when the gold rush is really thumping. It's going at its, at its hardest. And it's about uh, a lady called Janet Burt. And she was the first uh, case where somebody showed up dead in... Showed up. Somebody died in Romeo, or Juliet Terrace. Now the place had been really watched by police and they've been working hard to try and get down there but it was a very du- it's a very narrow laneway the the buildings are only wide enough so the street is only wide enough in these lanes to get a horse and cart down at night without light they would be incredibly dark you before the advent of you know good access to gas lights and then electricity that was a real hazard you wouldn't go anywhere you didn't know in the dark, especially if you're going down a laneway that has little adjuncts off it where you can get a horse and cart that can pull in and there's there's doorways and it was just a, a treacherous, dangerous place so this article talks about the first death that was in this case in Romeo Lane from the Argus the house in which the young lady was found is at the corner of Romeo Lane and Little Burke Street and it's a perfect nest of filth and crime, a miserable four room cottage With filthy and literally surrounded with reeking pools of decomposing matter, exhaling a poisonous miasma, is a fitting scene for one of those social tragedies which occasionally occurs in the midst of a crowded city, startling even those familiar with the haunts of prostitution and felony, and and loudly calling for the best efforts of the wise and benevolent to arrest the sources of their depraved deployments. It's beautifully worded in that uh Edwardian style, but the article goes on to talk about that this lady, Janet Burt, who was a prostitute, had spent uh, part of the night out with friends she uh she had she was seen having an altercation with a man who they, they don't say it specifically but it it insinuates he's a paying customer because of things that then subsequently happened in this case. He left her a pound note that's a lot of money right um if for what she was offering him, it was a lot of money. So there's been kind of an insinuation that's more than just a paying customer, but certainly he was leaving her money. And this is in a brothel. Uh, she was seen alive by friends when she fell asleep. Uh, her friend fell asleep on the carpet. She was seen alive in the bedroom with the man. The friend fell asleep on the carpet with two men who'd been brought to the house shortly after midnight. Uh, when the friend got up to fetch one of the men, a new pair of pants. She found Janet dead. Now I, I want to pause just there to ref- to reflect. When your story that you're recounting to the police could have in it, like if you're going out for, the, for a night out, or you're going to go do anything for that matter, and you're going to need to go and get a strange man a new pair of pants at any point in that story, I'm gonna I'm gonna hazard that you need to. There's some bad life choices happening right there. Anyway. Her friend found Janet dead. When she was going to get the spare, the new pair of pants for this guy, she finds Janet dead, which is tragic. Um, she, rec- she recounted to the police that Janet's face had blackened with rigor mortis already, so we're looking at a span of hours now that she's been dead. Uh, her skin was icy to the touch, obviously, um, but the, the £1 note was still in the room, uh, and the man had gone. So the jury, um, uh, the jury at the inquest... Uh, were extremely unimpressed by the find- findings of the coroner because the coroner just kind of did that thing where he looked at the body, held a cloth up to his nose, didn't touch it and said she died of apoplexy. Uh, you Google apoplexy, like it's a catch-all. It's like, I don't know. In this context, it, it's just him saying, oh, she's, she's worthless, she's not of any value. Um, and her life was just, in this case, just tragically cheap. So the poor woman died. Um, however, she died. Whoever assisted that death, um, there was no justice for her, and there's a tragedy there. So you know, look, it brings me an honour to be able to remember her via this podcast um, and revive some kind of justice in that way. But it kind of that's the beginning of the 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 infamy of Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace. So now we've had one killing in Romeo Lane. The news articles after 1857 they come in thick and fast, and it grows and it grows until we get to this kind of awful case two years later. If I was walking down the street in any part of the city and I saw this, I'm the kind of person, I'd be alarmed. I wouldn't stop until something was done. But this, on this day, in 1859, um, a very good policeman called Constable James Mooney, this guy gets a lot of write-up at the time for just really good policing. He's a career policeman. Walking down uh, Romeo Lane, and when he turns and goes back up Juliet Terrace, he sees a child who's 10 years old, well he guesses at the time, he's quite right, she's 10 years old, called Ruth Seddon, standing on the street, showing a leg out of a bit of a a crack in her her dress, and touting for work. That's at least what he assumed. So this child is touting for work in Juliet Terrace. Um, and so he he said, "Where are your parents?" And she said, oh, "My parents are dead." She said, well, "Your parents are dead. Who are you living with?" She said, oh, "My my sister. My, my sister's inside there. It's a brothel. And it's a well known brothel called uh, Victoria, the Victoria Hotel. Uh, it's a single story place, a couple of small windowless rooms, and uh, inside he found a woman called Martha Lewis. Now Martha is she's a piece of work." At this part of her journey, she had, she wasn't entirely well-known to police or the media. But over the many years that followed, you, you see what she's made of. And so then he he had a gut feeling. He's a good cop. And he took both of them to the watch house, sat them in separate rooms, and questioned them, and questioned them. And they both stuck with the story. Oh, no, she's my sister. Yeah, she's my sister. Until eventually, um, you know, she's, she's a little girl. Ruth's story changed, and she started explaining that that wasn't the truth of it. So what eventually happened is Ruth explained that she lives in an area called Collingwood Flats. That's not like, you know, the apartment buildings in Collingwood. It was a part of Collingwood called the Collingwood Flats. Um, She lived there with her parents, and her parents were good people. They were a middle-class family. Dad was a carpenter. Um, But Ruth, being a, you know, 10-year-old, she's a bit rowdy, worth noting at this point in the story that the legal age for consent... In Victoria or Australia at that time was 14 so turns out the Ruth in fact was 12 years old not 10 but nonetheless she was kind of approaching that age I'm not I'm not justifying any part of this but that's socially and emotionally where she was at so she was she's was looking to expand her wings she had dreams she was becoming her own person and as a little girl she walked past a, a, a photo studio a place where you get your photo taken and that was revolutionary getting a photo. I mean, that was, at the time, that was as impressive as anything we've ever seen. You know, there's massive waves where all of a sudden cinema becomes a big thing, or television. When people started seeing photographs, not paintings, but a photograph in that hyper-detailed way that photos can, in shop fronts, it was, it was miraculous, like a real miracle to them. And they'd stand and gather to see the new photos put up, and it was incredible. And she stared at them like all the other little children, and she imagined herself. Being photographed, and you know, it was, it was the kind of thing she would absolutely never have afforded herself. And maybe twenty years later, she could afford it. That's kind of what we're looking at. And at this shop, she'd stand and stare at these photos of rich people. That were then in in that context were celebritized. You're staring at somebody and wishing you were them, kind of thing. And the Little girl standing, looking at the, the the window, and uh, uh, Martha Lewis kind of slides up beside her like a serpent and starts grooming her. And she said, oh, yeah, do you like the photos? Oh, yeah, I love the photos, she said. Ruth said, Martha said, well, you know, I, I know a way you can get photos taken. Oh, really? Now, this little girl went, you know, that's like saying I can put you in the movies. And so Martha kind of groomed her and explained to her, you come to Melbourne, you do this work for me, and I'll give you the money and you can get your own photos taken. So off they went. And that was exactly the moment that Constable Moody found them. So it was... Honestly, a, a fluke of a miracle that she was found at exactly that on her first day in the job, before any harm was done, and she was returned to her family. And it was a great bit of policing, but that's the the degenerate kind of person that was living and working out of Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace. So then again, like I said, newspaper stories come in thick and fast, and I've, I've cherry picked a few that kind of really give uh, some some understanding as to what they were. That Romeo, Lane, and Juliet Terrace start to gather a bit more infamy in a uh, criminals, like nobody like, likes the the reality of the brutality of crime. But then, when you get a criminal like I don't know Squeezie Taylor or you know Tilly Divine, and they they add some flair to it, people start to forget the horror of what they do and they glorify it. And that became the case when a high profile bank robber and his gang uh, were um, they they were staying in. Uh, Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace when they were arrested um, they had robbed a bank in Collingwood the names were William Carver Jeremiah Phillips and James Anderson and so they robbed a bank uh, they were very well known as just you know debased thieves anyway um, but their bank robbery was fraught with blunders and ultimately it saw them get arrested uh, at a place just off Juliet Terrace where they were trying to hide out, I guess, and, and they went to... So that kind of, that high-profile bank robber story gave it a little bit more infamy, and they were rounded up in that area. And it became, you know, known that that was where criminals were, I guess. Um, it's about that time, 1870s, early 1870s to 1874, that Car- Caroline Hodgson, and that's, and then we come back to, she's Madame Brussels. Madame Brussels was, a, again, a high pro... She was actually, interestingly, she was married to a policeman, in her early life, and then she went on to be the most infamous uh, brothel-running madam that probably Melbourne's had in a very long time, or if ever. Uh, she was recruiting sex workers from Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace in 1874 for her own places on Little Lonsdale Street. Um, but then you move through to the 1870s, um, and and it's about that time gas lights become uh, more prevalent in that area, and that cha- it's a bit of a game changer. My first episode in this podcast series is about um was about Cranky Bella and it's a, it's a great piece uh that's a, a story about a woman who rented a small windowless room above a printer's in Little long, in, in um in Juliet Terrace and she rented it then the next room then the next room and she was running a brothel and so that's about this time frame as well it's so worth a listen if you haven't already um It's about that time, so the 1870s, in a single night, there's 50 arrests recorded in the same night between Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace. These include um, people who are under the influence of uh, just drunk, or they demonstrated unlawful means of support. That means they've got money, but they've got no job. So then there, there was a law that said that they could be arrested because the assumption is you've either stolen it or you're getting it through illegal activities. Uh, There was prostitutes arrested. There was vagrants, uh, sly grog sellers, pickpockets. um, But 50 arrests in one night between two lanes that you can almost kick a football to the end of. It's incredible stuff. The the newspaper then, these are some of the newspaper headings and sentences from that time period. And I quote, He was now keeping a brothel in Juliet Terrace, the age twenty sixth of March 1861. Next one charged with being a keeper of house frequented by thieves in Juliet Terrace, the August 19th of April, 1861. Ellen Porter was charged with being the keeper of a disorderly house in Juliet Terrace, the age, 18 June, 1861. Uh, and they go on and on and on. They kind of come to a place in the late 1860s where... The police knew they had to do something, so by the eighteen seventies, but the turning point really was a young girl. Uh, and the the newspaper says, Mary A. Turnbull, a young girl, apparently no more than 16, was charged with vagrancy. She was apprehended by Detective Easton in a brothel in Juliet Terrace. Her mother was a prostitute living in the same street. And it goes on to say that this is now at a place where two generations of criminals are here. And so by the 1870s, the police start to really look at it. There's the knife fights become more frequent, but um this this case that I've chosen to illustrate it was, it, it gives some more personal stuff about it. Like a lot of the time they say, ah, oh, and he walked down the street and he was stabbed. Doesn't tell you much about the story. But the, this one's also interesting because there's a man of color. He's um born in the West Indies, and uh, he's a cook from a ship that's in dock, and he's just, you know, strolling around Melbourne. He's a small guy, he's five foot four, and his name is Prince Moody. It's a great name, isn't it, Prince Moody. So Prince is a, he's a respectable man, he's got a wife and a couple of kids, and he's walking around Melbourne, uh, but being a cook, he's got a cook's knife on him, but also everybody at this time, I mean literally everybody, carries a knife. Carrying a knife is a very normal part of your life at this time. So he's walking down the street, um, uh, frustratingly no evidence or records relate to the criminal, he's a fellow called William Holdsworth. I can't find much of anything about him, but uh, he was known as Liverpool Liverpool Bill, so he's obviously from Liverpool, Um, but they got into an altercation purely on the basis of, what are you doing here? Uh, Bill pulled out the knife, and then Prince Moody pulled out his knife, it was taken from him and he was stabbed with his own knife. I've also heard that's pretty common in knife fights, you stand as much chance of getting stabbed with your own knife as you do with someone else's. But by the end of its lifestyle, uh, its lifespan, uh, in 1876, Juliet Terrace and Romeo Lane were renamed. They knew that by 1890 that the no good was going to come of these places. They started the beautification program. They started closing down tenants that were not what they wanted. Um, and they changed the name. So now uh, Romeo Lane is Crosley Street and Juliet Terrace is Liverpool Street. Ironically, as you go down Burke Street, at the place you'd turn right for either of those, if you turned left, you'd be facing the enormous three-storey building that is the Salvation Army headquarters. Um, I don't know if they had much to do with Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace. I've asked the question. I can't see a whole lot of evidence for or against, but um, you know, it's an interesting thing that they, they moved in there about the same time, and, and they were such a, a huge part of Melbourne's welfare problem. So that's the story of Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace, and it kind of gives a snapshot, I hope, of what life was like in the earlier part of Melbourne and its criminal um, entities. Romeo Lane and Juliet Terrace were also a popular haunt for a very young Squizzy Taylor and his brother Claude Taylor, working in a pickpocket gang called the Burke Street Rats. They were a push gang, a pack of children thieves that had literally one hand in everybody's pockets as you walk down burke street but that was they were their escape routes straight down romeo terrace and juliet lane Uh, thank you so much for listening Uh, i've enjoyed this i hope you have too Uh, in the meantime i will be uploading some more stuff in the following weeks Uh, i've got a whole bunch of other podcasts that i hope you'll enjoy Um, and the book series is called the same thing it's the dawn of crime if you have any interest jump onto my uh, facebook page And check those out. Otherwise, Google The Dawn of Crime by Roy Malloy, M A L O Y, and enjoy some of the other details.